We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Modo. Digital strategy with Kar Young Tom, Josh Frankel, and Kenji Egashira. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. And we are on the air. Welcome to episode number 10 of Men From Moto. We've got a full house. we got Mr. Josh Frankel. Denial Hello, Soldier. everybody. we got New Matanami, Kenji. Hello. Drinking a big bottle of juice. Yeah. And loving it. And we got Travis Sowers. Howdy. Without his cat in the, in, in the camera view here. Yeah, he's sleeping on some shoes over here. <laughs> All right. So, I'm really happy now. I'm actually happy because I actually won my first 8-4 in like 12 fucking tries after losing 12 of them. Well, not by losing, I don't mean I lost in the first round or anything, but I never closed the deal. I was finally able to get one, but it was with one that was like probably pretty... I mean, I relied on winning with Chandra and you know, Aether Spout definitely helped another game and Kona Flame, so I had like the bombs to yeah, go along with it. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, Travis loved it. Um, but before that, something that piqued Josh's interest, and also when Travis, I wanted to discuss something uh, with Travis, and he emailed me back. He's like, check out the latest episode of Limited Resources, because they're, they're talking about uh, something called Quadrant Theory. Um, so actually, Travis, I'll let you talk about that, that a bit, but but it piqued our interest definitely. Sounds super complicated. Let's do it. It's <laughs> it's not super complicated. I'd recommend anybody that hadn't checked it out to check it out. But I I heard it when they went over it the first time, and it's basically a card evaluation tool, where Brian Wong is saying the idea is you try to think of four quadrants of magic, like development being the first one, so the first couple turns when you're playing out cards from your hand, then it's like situations that come up often in magic. So I'm gonna quick and dirty version but the first few turns so like through turn five is this card good here then is this card good in a board stall then is this card good when i'm ahead and lastly is this card good when i'm behind and the idea is that those are questions you should be asking yourself as you're looking at taking a particular card and even if a card is like really great in one situation it may not be the pick if there's one that's pretty good in all the situations does that make sense Mm -hmm. uh, Kenji, have you heard about this before? The quadrant thing? I think I've heard Brian or Marshall talking about it before, but not uh, in like a solidified theory type thing. <laughs> I think from what I understand, like Brian came up with it, or at least his group, and then Marshall picked it up and, and has used it since. And you, like, I feel like it's stuff that Travis, you and I, like, all four of us like sort of think about, but maybe not like formally. Would I be? It's like I was doing half of this on my own before I heard about it, and it like once I heard him break it down and discuss it, a lot of things that I was doing intuitively I can now do systematically instead. So I I can look at a card that I knew was good and now kind of run it through the ring and see why it's good. That's fair. Is it weighted at all? Like, it's it seems to me that. 
you would you would like those four quadrants aren't necessarily twenty five percent each of situations that come come up. Like some are more important than others. Yeah, and like he was saying, it's one a of, pretty good starting point. That's that's a good way of breaking it down, I guess. He went um, a little deeper and said, like he's going to value cards more that will get him out of a losing situation. Yeah, like for that, that that's that's the one that struck me as you'd want to put a little bit more weight into. Um, because if you're already ahead, then it's probably going to be good still. Yeah, you don't you don't necessarily need as much help when you're ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have a dead card in hand because you're ahead, well, you're ahead. Yeah, having a a wrath in hand when you're dominating the board is still okay. Yeah. But that's kind of where it took me, and then it, he went a little deeper to it's an exploration of like why certain archetypes are good in, in certain environments. Like an aggressive deck is one that really only cares about development and being ahead. You know, if you're playing a, a super aggro deck, which I've been known to do, um, you don't really care about the late game or, you know, getting back when you're behind. You're probably not going to be able to do that anyway. So you focus all of your energy on that development quadrant. Sure, but you still, like, wait. Given two aggressive two drops, you'd, you'd wait the one that, has a little bit more reach or a little bit more uh, power in the late game over over one that's only good on turn two, right? Like it still applies even to a, an aggressive deck. Absolutely. Yeah, in the in the show, he he does like in general like without going to archetypes. I didn't listen to that part yet, but he does like rank the the, the four quadrants. Okay, guess, so, like, so it is it is a weighted. It's not a. Right, it's not a twenty-five percent thing. It's like like Travis was was saying. It's like things that get him out of losing position were first, probably development was second, I think, and when you're at cards that break you out of parity, third, and then cards that, um, like, I mean, he also mentioned that the, that particular segment, the parts that give you, that make you win more when you win, isn't that important because it's almost like any card, um, and it, in my mind, it's almost like any card. So that that particular quadrant is probably not that useful. Well, Travis gave a good example of a sweeper, like a symmetrical, a powerful but symmetrical effect, like a wrath. is a good example. Yeah, and he was oh, arguing that, yeah. that one is so good when you're behind that you'll put it in your deck anyway, and if you can't cast it, well, you know, who cares? If you don't need it, then you're probably winning anyways, right? Exactly. So I don't know if I ever used this, and if I, one of the things that I personally use for evaluating early drops that, that I've, I've only picked up recently, like really formalized, is something that Josh mentioned, is like looking at early drops and seeing how, like I, I want to pack my deck with like two drops that have value later on in the game, and obviously in M15, these are cards like um, the, I keep calling them the, the hybrid cycle, like the Chieftain, the the, um, uh, let me pull up my <laughs> Sunblade A Elf Marshall. I'll help you out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, River Marshall. Yeah, yeah. The green, especially the green white guy, who I can't name by name. The uh, Sun something elf. Sunblade Elf. Sunblade Elf. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Sunblade Elf, like him. Like he's a two-two. He's fine. But if you top deck that guy, he's like insane as well. So. Um, <laughs> I've written an article before about how how I sort of um, it's not something like like I said it's not something I formally do or something when I'm playing a game but 
I wrote about my thought process of how I look at everything and evaluate every card with like sort of like an abstract number. And um, when when I play, it's weird that I feel like obviously it can break down a game where a deck with more powerful spells left in their deck, they're able to like draw higher value numbers. In that case, how I view things and that guy has more chances, that deck has more chances to win in the long run. So I want to make sure like my two drops and uh, I can at least easily seg into how a lot of the red red two drops, I don't actually like that much outside of uh, Borderland Marauder. They're just like two ones that you need, like they all are good in their own way, but the one toughness really eats at me, like even Generator Servant, the uh, Bloodseeker, the Torch Feed. I love the Bloodseeker. And okay, that's something I want to get through. Like in, in there, we're talking a lot about limited resources because that that, that podcast is obviously awesome and the one I would recommend uh, to listen to outside of us for sure. That's the first thing you should listen to. <laughs> and their pack one pick one, um, it, it included like the Blue Paragon, the Bloodseeker, and other cards. And Bro Brian and Marshall were were really they sounded really high on the Bloodseeker though they said it wasn't an exciting first pick, but they would pick it. But my my impression is different from you, Josh. Like when it it's been the small cases for me where it's been insane, and, and I've been able to do the cute thing with it. But outside of that, for most of the time, it's been a two-one for me. So uh, tell me how good you think it is, Josh. Well, its base is a two-one for two, which that's fine in this format. That's what you get, and then and then you get these situations where you either. Um, hidden for extra or get to push through damage that you wouldn't otherwise by uh, using a removal spell ahead of time like a forge devil that's my favorite or uh, just a regular removal spell and then, and then you have these like blowout situations where you get to like instant speed like you get to instant speed kill something mid, mid combat and give him for a strike it doesn't always come up but like the fact that you can do that is just insane for a two drop like he, he still does his job as a 2-1 for 2, and then you have these huge, huge value bonus situations, like where you like you shouldn't be able to do that with your 2-drop. It's not fair. What do you think about that card, Kenji? The Bloodseeker? You know, I don't like that card that much. <laughs> yes! Yes! Disagreement in the ranks. I love it. But, like, what are you going to do in red? Like, what else? <laughs> I mean, if you're a red deck. Well, if you're a red deck, sure you'll play him. But I mean, like you need, if you need good cards to make him good, right? You need uh, lightning strikes and whatnot, which are already good by themselves. Yeah, to... but 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 the but like like I don't know. I, maybe it's, it's like a thread of different, But you're playing you're playing a two drop anyways. I'd much prefer to be that guy than um, torch torch fiend, who's fine sometimes too. He does stuff. Sure. But... Yeah. Um. That, okay, I have a bad story with him. So go go go! Oh no! Oh no! They even told that story on the show, on the episode. Oh, oh did I know they? The story. I know the story, and it, you can tell it. But I know. Oh, God. So, I don't know it. Uh, is involved. I was on stream. I don't know. I was probably tilting off or something. But it was. It was. Uh. So I had played. I had played Generator Servant on turn two. My opponent goes turn two. Uh. Bloodseeker. Turn three, 
I sacrifice my generator server and play Juggernaut. Oh, God. So, use my Juggernaut haste. Juggernaut, of course, has to attack every turn. My opponent's Bloodseeker is now a 4-1 first strike haste because I sack my servant to pop out the Juggernaut. See how good he is? Yeah, when, when you're... <laughs> when your opponent plays like a dumbass, it's insane. <laughs> Don't worry, Kenji. We've all done, we've all done something just. He also bad. gets to just like, like, sit, you have mana up and keep him on defense. Like, I'm impressed. People I are think out of a, that shit. Out of a weak pack, maybe you take the Bloodseeker to prom, but you don't marry her. But like a, a more interesting question <laughs> is yeah. Borderline Marauder versus Bloodseeker because I want Marauder not close. Yeah, yeah I not... take Marauder over it. I take Marauder over it. Yeah, that's not close. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, like I was talking about how, like Marauder, like for the two drop, it's like up there, and all the two ones are significantly. It's not, I not think it's the most. I think it's the most second. Like I, I, I like him. A, like I like him a lot more than any of the other two drops. Just because they have to live in fear, right? Yeah. 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 He, he just does. He has so much more bonus than any of the other two drops. It's like Even fake stupid bonus. people bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid people bonus. No. Oh yeah, like you can even get them not only on the on the bonus level, but like the first strike. They're like, what? First strike? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's not fair. Get it. It's not fair. When you when you get to do it, it's totally not fair because it came off a two drop. <laughs> He's not like a one-one that has some stupid ability. He's a fine hiker. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I I didn't want to. I I didn't want to like. Diverged too much from from the first topic. I uh, wanted to wrap that up first, but um, so Josh, can, I, can, I, can I say something? Yeah. I, what I'd be tempted to do is like I'd want to rank all the cards in each quadrant and then have a multiplier weighted from each quadrant, and then you get to then you really go deep and and, and really really get to the <laughs> uh, like make it really systematic. In, in it'd be an interesting way of like. Ranking all the cards in a set and seeing how things stack up. You'd have to come up with a good waiting system, but that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it would compete easily. Like the, the my number one resource for for pre-release whatever is like to read LSV's quick limited review, and he's usually spot on for most of the cards. His first impressions. Um, I think the only notable thing that uh, I thought he rated too low from the get-go was Hunt the Week, he, he gave it, like, a really, really poor rating. Um, Nobody seems to like that card, and I love it. I haven't been overly impressed with it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that good here. There are formats <laughs> where it's better, but I don't think this is one of them. It's okay. I think he, well, I think he put it as, like, a 1.5, like, something really ridiculously low. So, I definitely think it's it's playable. Maybe, maybe it's a 2. Yeah. Uh, I think Travis and I probably have it higher than a 2. Right, Travis? <laughs> I put it right solidly in the middle. Like, if I'm green and I need to kill stuff, and when don't you need to kill stuff, it's a great way to do it. You got to be smart about it. You know, have something big out, make sure they're tapped out before you do it. But I've won a lot of games with a timely hunt a week, and you can get them so late because everybody's convinced they're crap. Like, I don't want 20 in the deck, but I'll take two and be happy. Hunt, 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 hunt. Uh, like, four mana for, in this, in this format, four mana... It, it's it's a removal spell that's that's probably just picking up uh, picking off a two drop, 
and like when you compare like four man is expensive like look at flesh to dust it's not it's not even that good in this format but at least it kills anything this is like expensive removal that still has a bunch of question marks on it like is your creature big enough do they yeah. have a bounce spell do they have a whatever yeah i want like a bunch of spiders that's my favorite curve oh, i love the spider Spider into Hunt is my favorite curve. Um, but yeah, what Josh said would be pretty awesome if, like, Marshall or Brian Wong put together, like, the list, like, the quadrant thing, but I'm sure probably the Reddit group, someone might be doing it for the next, well, next I think the, uh, the passionate fans. The, the main idea is when you're doing any draft in any format, like if they have some weird flashback for when I was on break, I can still use that theory to evaluate the cards that are in that pack. You know, so when a new set comes out, maybe you haven't had time to listen to a set review or hear what everybody thinks about, but you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind, like almost how good of a top deck is this? Right. Um, Sorry, I didn't flush the toilet. I got in trouble. You're <laughs> <laughs> conserving water. Um, to wrap hunt up my hunt my, the week indeed. Hunt the week indeed. <laughs> Yeah, Travis, to wrap up my thoughts, like my thought process, is I, I, I don't rank them. I'll, I'll try to see if this actually changes how I rank cards. Like I was telling you, for me, it's like I just see it as the opening parody and like the ending is how I, 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 I try to picture the card in different stages of the game. And uh, that's, how, that's how I evaluate cards, uh, or, or have been unconsciously. Like mm -hmm. like I, like how I say Sunblade Elf or like Welkin Turn for example is is awesome on turn two but it's also awesome really late if your opponent doesn't have a way to deal with it because then it's it's a very good uh, constant source of damage in the late game so that's how I I've been doing it um, so I'm gonna see if if I'm gonna tune my my way of thinking but it was it was great to listen to some something else um, any any two cents on the quadrant theory uh, last uh, from Josh. Extra. I'm good. Kenji's good. Uh, yeah, I guess so. How do you evaluate cards? Do you what type of questions do you ask? Similar to that or different? I kind of just yeah, I kind of just rate them in general. I don't I don't specifically go for the quadrant thing or whatever. Um, I, I just overall, how good are they? Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think you also want to like take into account um. Like synergies in, in within a format and like strength of colors, um, based on experience and um, like one thing. I guess you could I guess you could take into account in the quadrant thing, but like <clears throat> um, like uh, how good how good a card is when you're when you're if you're just looking at a card, how good is it in each of these situations? You're kind of ignoring the 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 environment and the synergies within the colors and and how a set plays out like that's a little bit maybe too much of an in a vacuum um, if you know you're looking at a you're looking at a, a power level of a card in a vacuum but not necessarily within it within its environment uh, so but you can probably tack that on into the quadrant theory yeah I think as long as you you're aware of like the limitations and and, and the fact that it's it's more that you have to tack on all that thought on top of it. It's uh, probably a powerful tool. Um, we're going to... Okay, I'll get Kenji to answer one of the questions we have on our question lists. Uh-oh. 
I don't see this question list. Where is this? It's like you press Q and A or something, or only I can see them, maybe. Oh, oh I see Q and A. I'm gonna press it too. No, don't. I'm not it. by you probably get this a million times, Kenji. But like these two questions, we'll just answer them quickly. What got you uh, to start streaming by Nick Dampros? What got me to start streaming? Um. I, <laughs> I have no idea. That's, that's, uh, no, no, it, it was like I had seen people, some of the earliest people stream before, and I was like, oh, you know what, I think I could do this, but I didn't I didn't have any, you know, set goals or plans for it. It was just like, hey, I think I'll try this out. Why not? <laughs> All right. Hey, you know why I started streaming? I'm not big like Kenji, but yeah. <laughs> I, I started streaming from this podcast, like the first time we did this. Really? Yeah, and you, you guys, because I, I, at that no, point, what, I what the hell? That's not true. Yeah, no, no, it is true. I, I was just doing video content. Oh right, whoa. And then uh, you're talking about the, this guy Kenji, who does all the <laughs> streaming. <laughs> like I want to stream. <laughs> right, 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 right. And then I streamed, and it was good. It was fun. And then Travis looked at you guys, and it's like. Well, I don't want to stream. <laughs> no, quite honestly, with me, it was quite literally. I'm like, I'm gonna stream, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna really put some effort into it, and it's gonna happen. And it was exactly the same time Kenji started doing it. And then like everybody told me, you can't do this. You're way too old. Nobody wants to watch an old dude play magic. There's no way you can do this. You should just stop. And I listened to him, and I still watched Kenji. I'm like, holy crap, this dude's. This dude is doing what I wanted to do. So like three months ago, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do it too," and I was really surprised when people watched. Like that kind of blew my mind. So th that's that's kind of what got me going. Was just like, you know what? I don't care. I'd rather be doing what I want to do at the age I'm at rather than just never doing it and dying. That doesn't sound all that great. True. Okay. So that, that's the sec. There's a question that's very related to this. We'll start with you, Travis. Uh, I, I haven't streamed that much. But I started streaming because, um, I mean, just because people like a lot of people watch it and, and they liked it when I stream, so um, they wanted to see me stream. So that that was it. Uh, what's the hardest thing about streaming? Starting with you, Travis. From uh, Windmill Slam. That's his name. Oh, that's Dennis. I know Dennis. Um, hardest thing about streaming. Uh, sometimes you get hungry or you have to poop. That doesn't matter. Yeah, but like there's all these people watching and you're like, I gotta go and it's gonna take like 10 minutes. What do I do? What do I do? Yeah, it's like. Have you seen it? Have you ever seen? I haven't done it in a while. Have you ever seen me draw a picture? Yeah. That's yes, I have. Yeah, I've never or, done it for pooing, but but that would be a good picture. <laughs> that would be a good picture. But like, no, there's there's dead time. So like, when I'm doing videos, you know, you just pause it, and then you go do something else. You read a book, you watch a movie, and now there's dead time, and you have to play other games or do stuff, or you got to do something, or you see somebody's calling you, and you're like, ah, gosh, what do I do with this time? Um, so that's probably the hardest part for me is is being inter I can be entertaining in small chunks, but now I need to stretch it out over four or six hours. Sometimes that can be a little difficult. <laughs> you need um, a subscriber dance. No. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, that's what I'm missing. Um, what's the hardest thing for you, Kenji? Um, just doing it. I don't know. 
just, just just doing it is hard. I don't know. I don't know what's the what what's hard anymore. It's not hard. It's just monotonous, grueling. I guess it's. Um, I'm not irked by the trolls or anything like that, and I guess it's when. 15 people in the chat are like, oh, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and I'm about doing this, doing this, doing something else. And even even if they're right, which happens occasionally, you know, I want to I wanna stick to my initial guns. Right, right. I want to, you know. Okay. Josh? Um... Uh, now, nowadays it's staying consistent. I can't. I can't. Uh, I, I've had a lot of trouble getting a schedule going on uh, streaming. Um, and, uh, and 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 when I was when I was going daily, uh, it, it it sometimes it's tough to uh, to keep positive. Like um, sometimes you have a bad day on the stream, and uh, like nothing's going your way, and and then it's that's not enough that's like that, like cuz i you know you have bad days and you accept that but it's it's kind of what what Kenji was saying is when you have that uh vocal group in in the chat that 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 are sort of like daggering you with their um very uh very adamant not necessarily rude or intentionally rude but very adamant um uh wants to play and arguing and and yeah, so that, that 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 was tough. Like that that's that's probably the toughest to get through days like that and stay positive and want to go stream the next day. Still want to go stream the next day. Wow, well, that usually happens when you start becoming popular. I figure. No, it happens you know? to those of us who aren't popular. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> Travis, like, I get one guy and he's just an asshole. He's the no, only no. one in the room, but he's they're, a dick. They're they're not assholes. They're actually really nice, but it, it's that situation where you. You pick the right card over the wrong card, and you explain why, and then you get into the game, and if you'd made the stupid pick they wanted you to make, you would have won. won. <laughs> but like, like, well, if you'd had that fog here, it would have been really great, huh? And they're not being a jerk about it. They just don't understand. They like just don't get it why that's not a good card. But, but it, like, how do you argue with them because they're right? you know? And you go through that like – that happens once, and you're like, okay, that happens, and you go through and explain how, okay, you don't look at just this, that card wasn't right in the deck, yada, 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 and then it happens again and again, <laughs> and now now there's five of them, and they're just wrong, but their wrong lines of play would have won the game, and, that's, and you've lost five in a row, and you're like, ah, no, it happens to all of us. <laughs> you know what else is hard? It's, it, I, 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 I always had a tough time, and I tried. There was a while where I was trying pretty hard. Um, to keep to keep up sort of like an up to date like visually the stream like like uh, you know you see some really nice stream designs out there and like keeping up with this one I was trying to keep up with 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 that and the uh, you know commercials and uh, you know trying to get uh, you know partnership or sponsorship or whatever whatever they call it uh, subscriber status and. Uh, like that that was I, I, it was tough to keep up like uh you know like um I don't know I I, I don't think I have the knack for it or the pa maybe it's the patience but but that's uh, it's tough to keep your stream looking like a like a professional, mm -hmm. professional. Yeah like 
the Kenji. Travis does a good job. Kenji does a good job. Yeah, how he gets also how he gets the dance going right away. Sweet looking stream. <laughs> There's some other ones out there that you see are just insane. I was watching one last night. The guy had these like visual effects. <laughs> Subscribe and he started dancing and it was like he was like he was in a club. He did this visual thing where in the back every time someone subscribed it automatically put the music on and like club club background behind his behind the <laughs> picture. How do how the hell how do you how do you come up with it? It's awesome. But I can't do that. Uh, also there's a the, uh, anyone know um any, anyone ever watch uh uh the good point bros? Once they only do Friday night, they haven't done it in a while. They were they were visual effect masters. It, it, it's actually screen. pretty easy to get all the visual effects stuff. You like? Yeah, don't make me sound stupid. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it's easy no. once you know what you're doing, but it, yeah, yeah. it's just getting it set up right. Just know. Just know. Um. So I'm, we're not gonna answer. Uh, so there's two more questions here. We're not gonna answer how we feel about new standard because it's a limited show. So that's. Although it is interesting to note that we'll never be drafting three sets again. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good. Oh, comment. that that's a good that's a good thing to talk about. Yeah, we can answer that. Um, Travis. Maybe it's just because I'm weird, but I kind of liked having the three sets because there's three packs, and it's a little OCD kicking in, but there's there's three packs and three sets, so you draft three packs of three sets, and it makes sense. And, yeah. and now we don't. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we're not getting quite as much time in each plane as I would like to spend. Like, I get why they did it after reading everything, but it still seems kind of weird. Like, everything's going to be, you know, big set, big set, little set forever. So do you know how it changes the the drafting? Well, it's like, as if it's two sets. So it's gonna be number two, number two, num number one. Other way around. Like I'm gonna get wait, I'm gonna get how many packs of the base set? Two. But you'll draft them second and third. Okay. Okay. So it's two like second set, first set, first set. Like, imagine they'd done it in Theros. We would always be doing Theros, Theros, and then finally Born of the Gods comes out, and we do Born of the Gods, Theros, Theros, and that's the end of the block. Yeah. I, you know, my initial reaction was the same, but then, like, um, I can think of more bad third set, third set formats, or not bad, or sets that got worse with the third set than the, those that got better. Those that got better were really good, like uh, MD5... Uh, some of the some of the multicolor sets I thought got a lot better. Like original Ravnica was neat how they split up the guilds. I thought uh, Invasion, uh, but but then like almost every other one got worse that I can think of off the top of my head. Like a lot of a lot of sets got worse with the third pack. They got different, so you enjoyed them at first because it was just different. But maybe it's just better to go to another completely different format, and that's new too, and that's that'll just be even better. Mm-hmm. Now, are we, are we, we still draft them for the same same length of time, and uh, we're just one down, one set, is that right? No, 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 no. There's more, and there's no more core set. So now it goes big set, small set, big set, small set, but I think it's the same rate. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. 
like it, the idea was leave them wanting more. So I can see that. Like by the end of Journey into Nyx, I was really done with the whole Greek thing. I'm like, that's cool, but I've, <laughs> I've kind of had enough. But like in the Strad, they could have done like five sets of that, and I'd have been like, cool werewolves. <laughs> yeah, the um, like like also like uh, small like because it's small like because it's a small set like it's really hard to make when when you have big set that has all these cards and then small set small set you you start really reducing the impact of the big set which mm -hmm. has all these ideas really fleshed out and all the basics of the of the uh, uh, like basic mechanics of the of the block. And you sort of lose that a lot. A lot of the time, you lose the cohesiveness of the of the set's uh, mechanics, and it just becomes a mishmash. Like, uh, I mean, Ravnica was a pretty good example of that. The, the recent Ravnica, it just yeah. became, which is fun. Five color nonsense is fun, but like a <laughs> lot of, like, that, you like you, you lost a lot of the, uh, the, you know, synergy mechanics uh, decks. Yeah, I don't know. I think. We're just gonna have to see how it plays out, really. I mean, I guess it's all about what kind of uh, new mechanics and stuff will be in the sets themselves, if any. That also, you know. Plays you gotta remember, game. they're designing with this in mind, right? There's no, like, they're they're not designing anymore as if there's a third set, so they're they're not gonna hold back. Like, the, 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 you can, I think you can guess that you're gonna have a little bit more emphasis on the mechanics stuffed into these two, yeah. two sets. Uh, so you, you're not going to lose out, I don't think. You're That's fair. Yeah. Mechanics. Yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting. Um, so we're, we're, it won't impact until next year. So we're still I'm actually really excited for constructed, which is weird because I don't play much constructed. But <laughs> it sounds it sounds much more appealing to have the the sets the the formats rotating all the time. You, 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 like I get that like. The reason I don't play much standard is I get sick of it so fast. Mm -hmm. Now it's going to change a lot, a lot quicker. I guess we'll have oh, enforcing talk, cater to to heavy meta midget here. Uh, I give my little thoughts. I guess a lot of the ca more casual players are a bit sad because you know their cards now last 18 months instead of 24 months, and I can totally understand for people like sure, those people yeah. struggle struggle to even have a standard deck now and they feel like they're getting two years worth and now they're only getting a year and a half. That is a big deal that uh, I think is not mentioned by the pros because they, they can get any card they want. So that is definitely a concern. Um, going back to limited, I do want, uh, I mean, I feel like I'm known more and, and I think Travis will agree more as a technical player than, than an actual uh, draft, limited draft uh, deck constructor. So one thing I've been struggling with sometimes is um, mana curve. Now, a few years ago, I remember reading something, um, an article, a bunch of articles telling like, and I've seen articles recently when I when I Google them and skimmed them that give specific ranges of numbers of how many two, three, four, five drops that you should have. And I remember following that guideline before and doing okay, like like it's just a guideline. And now, like, sometimes I find myself just drafting way too many heavy drops. Like, one of the like one of the train wrecks that I just drafted, I was low on confidence after losing, like, over 12 A4s. <laughs> so I joined a 4-3-2-2. <laughs> Ended up winning, but my deck was awful. I had, like, two or three flesh to dust. And on top of that, I had, like, 
three Covenant of Bloods or something. Um, to me. And the only reason I was winning is because my opponent's deck were not aggressive enough to take advantage of my high mana curve, so it would always go to the late game, and I would just sure. kill them with Flesh and Covenant of Blood. And then when I finally decided to just uh, play against a friend who had like a 2-1 deck from an 8-4, just to like, who wasn't, we're just testing draft decks like pre-form on Moto. And he crushed me. Like, we played eight games, and it was like 6-2 to two for him. So clearly, my deck was just good enough to beat bad decks. So how... <laughs> What do you guys do for curve? Do you have guidelines? Any advice would be awesome. I'll start with you, Kenji. Um, well, for online, sure, it, it helps a lot that you're able to look at each individual pick, you know, as you're going throughout the draft. So it's easy to slide things over and say, oh, well, you know, I'm super happy on four drops. I better lower my curve and stuff. When you're at a uh, live event, it's, it's, it's still just as important to do that, right, and remember um, how your curve is looking. Uh, I think... I don't put too much weight on something like a guideline that I need to have, you know, three ones, five twos, five threes, right. four, you know, whatever, something like that. Um, why, but I still like to have that curve, you know, some, some semblance of a curve. Um, so my question, my, my specific question is like, let's say you have, you drafted or you, in your seal pool, you okay. see three siege worms. How do you know, like, what other cards, what are you looking for to know how many you can play? Uh, just how many, how many, because you know, that's Convoke, right? So how many low drop creatures you have if, like, I, I probably still run two of them at minimum, even if I don't have too many um, low enablers, just because, you know, as long as you get a creature or two before turn seven, you're going to be able to cast it at a reasonable time. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I guess it's just... Intuition. I, I don't know if that's the right choice of words, but have you played three before? Yeah. Uh, our one of, one of my teammates at GP Portland uh, had three in their deck. Granted, they went two and five, so maybe that was not a good indicator. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with somebody going two and five at GP Portland. Oh, I, I'm yeah. just saying, you know. Oh, I didn't hear this. Uh... <laughs> No, I, I just lost all day long until the last two rounds. So, like, Brian and KYT are carrying me all day long. And it's like, oh, God, I can't buy a win because we built the deck wrong, I mean, to be frank. We had this awesome dredge deck that just could never kill anybody. But, man, could it cycle through. Um, so I figured that out about halfway through the day, and I'd change it after sideboard and get, like, I was swapping in and out eight cards. And then... Holy moly. So getting my ass handed to me all day, and then finally the last two rounds, I crushed my opponents. I'm like, cool, we made it to day two, right, guys? Guys, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> um, Josh, do you have any advice for me? Um, yeah, I, I think, like, um, a baseline curve is... is um, it's good to be aware of what a baseline curve should look like, but but you uh, you you skew things based on um, certain things like you, you can cheat you can cheat on two drops if if your three drops like if you're a more controlling deck and your three drops are very good defensively like you you can you can get away with because you, you don't you know you, you you in a control deck you want to avoid running something like a grizzly bear so if you don't 
if you don't have like a a more impactful two drop that like in, in the later game, you, you you might cheat on them a bit and, and just play more two threes or three threes on turn three or or, or wall or something on turn three. Um, so you, you skew things. I, I think you get you get to skew things that way, or or like things like you you don't have to run as many five drops. Your four drops are really good because you can sort of slide some of them over to the five drop slot. So you you want to be aware of things like that, and also what like what role your deck is taking. Like if you're an aggressive deck, you're you're gonna want to skew your curve away to the to the low end, and and it might be the opposite for uh, uh, like like if you have uh, a control deck can really start cheating if if you have um, like a good number of ways of recovering very well. Uh, if you have a good number of cards that that uh, that can get you back into the game, you can start you, you can you can start cheating a little bit uh, one way or the other. I mean, ideally ideally your curve is perfect, but uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to start you don't want to start taking away weaker cards just to fill a curve all the time. Uh, it should only impact your picks so much, I think. Uh, just you, you got to be smart about it. Okay. A lot of a lot of it just is just experience and drafting a lot and sort of knowing when you can when you can start skewing your curve one way or the other. So my thing is like, for example, let's say, how many even in there should be an X amount of like. Like, it's harder to answer with Convoke, obviously, because uh, Siege Worms, like, they can be cast on, on 5 and even on turn 4, right? Maybe, like, yeah, on turn 4, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, but let's say a card that, like, Ancient Silverback, which is a 6-drop. Like, there has there is a limit to how many you can play in your deck, and I'm not even sure what that limit is. Well, uh, there's a difference between like uh, an ancient silverback and like a soul or something, right? Like ancient silverback is a solid card, but it's not it's not gonna dig you out of a hole. Like, you know, y- you your your if your hand is full of things like ancient silverback, you get to tur- even if you survive to turn six, you're you're probably too far behind. Whereas things like souls or or like the angel that gains you a zillion life or like when you're when you're when you're late game. Or like the blue, uh, nothing can attack you anymore. Like these are like seven and eight drops that like, you know, you don't value the same as something like a. You don't look at them in the same way as a siege room because they they actually just turn the game around when you drop them. Um, so, like yeah, you, you, there's a limit to how many ancient silverbacks you run, but there's not not the same limit when when they're, when there are things like souls. Uh, granted, you still have to get to that point in the game, so you still right. have to, like, you can't play all things like that. You have to play some number of things that get you to that point in the game. But it's, it definitely changes the types of two and twos and threes you want. You don't need twos and threes that pressure your opponent or kill your opponent. You need twos and threes that get you to the point in the game where you get to drop your powerful stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my, just my your nerve with bears isn't going to... It isn't actually going to help you necessarily get like they might trade, but they're not you know it's not <laughs> the same as uh, as as like a wall of frost or something um, at getting you to that point in the game. Yeah, my my favorite is when people really adhere to having that perfect curve and they're like, oh well, you know my curves really high. I've got like six four drops. I I really want to get this five drop in here, you know, to make it. To make it prettier, and they're like, no, no, 
you know, you, it it looks better, the curve looks better, but you're adding something that's more expensive yeah. to your deck, right? And yeah. just slide one of those fours over, your curve looks wonderful. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard somewhere when in doubt, take the cheaper card. Ah, I, th I think that's shitty. <laughs> I've heard that too. I, th I think it's like, like, new, you know, like that's people new are idiots. Advice. Like let people let people oh. like figure things out properly. You don't have to give them idiots. stupid rules. I, I think it's I think it's not a bad place to start. Now I'll say my horizon was opened a good bit because I saw Josh do a draft with a control deck where it was basically like twelve three drops and like five six drops, and that was the deck. And I was yeah, like, this deck has no, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this deck has no curve at all, but it's great. So like, you you don't have to have a strict adherence to it. Now I have a tendency to play aggro decks anyway, so that's probably why that strategy appealed to me. Is is I'm far less likely to be the control guy, but it because I want the game to get to a point where I'm playing multiple things in a turn and kill you with five cards in your hand. Fair enough. Oh, it's a good rule when you're when you're beating when, like when you're in a once you're once you know you're an aggressive deck. That becomes a much better rule, but just like as as like trying to teach someone to draft or, or, or get better at drafting by by adhering to rules like that, it's like you're simplifying things a lot and, and like too you much. Know, there's a lot there's a lot more to draft, and you're not you're not you're not going to enjoy drafting as much either like that. Like you know, go, go explore the format a little bit and uh, and figure things out your, for yourself without you know there, these are all things to take into account. Like hey, maybe you should consider taking the small the the cheaper card, but Trying to simplify drafting to to that, I, I I I I really dislike rules like when people, you know, uh, give rules like uh, like that like as if they're uh, you know gospel or whatever. Yeah, drafting God 15 years ago was go find some pros pick order where they just have lists of cards and what order to pick them in, <laughs> you know, and like everybody would agree on what they were, and and I agree that was a lot less fun because it's like, did you memorize the pick orders? <laughs> Oh, you can draft a good deck. Yeah, but like, but like, you know, those like making a pick order is actually a good way of of like trying to figure out a format, and like it's a good exercise. It's just like there's a difference between like making an abstract pick order and like actually sticking to it, like like it's like like that's how you draft. It's not yeah. that's not how it actually works. All right, uh, Travis, did you have any advice for me? <laughs> well, clearly, it's not a good idea to always take the cheapest card. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> they're also the least fun cards. So. Well, see, I think they're the most fun cards, because <laughs> I want to win as fast as possible and then, you know, go play something else, I guess. But <laughs> that is something I consider. Like, if, if there's an aggressive deck in a format, I want to find it and try to maximize that and win with it because that's kind of what I enjoy doing. The The more complicated the board state gets, the less my old brain can understand everything <laughs> that's going on. So it's like I don't want the game to go that long. I want to kill them. But no, I, that is seriously something I do. I'll As I'm looking at curves, that's yeah. something I'm considering is how long do I want the deck, the game to go and do I have a chance to be able to get an aggressive deck? How long do I have to live? How long do I have to play this many games of Magic? What kind of deck do I have to draft to prolong my life? But no, I, I, I do tend to do that, and I also have situations where 
and this is again a very oversimplification, but if I'm considering between two cards, I'll kind of like put them both on the table and say which one wins. Okay. Uh, but for me, let's say you had, like, like I said, um, let's say you had, um, I'm trying to think here. Like you're never, are you ever, you're never, let's say, going to play three ancient silverbacks, right? No, but you'd play three souls all day. Like if, right, right. If you're so going like, to overload on sixes, they need yeah. to be things that you just slam on the table and go, bam, do you have something? Right, right. Because if you don't, then, like, you might have a weird deck that has like four Verdant Havens or something. I, I, okay, right. These things happen. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that's a good deck. I'm saying that that might be what falls <laughs> on your lap because you made a horrible error, but. <laughs> that falls in your lap. Stand up. <laughs> no, I mean like, yeah, I, you know, sometimes the deck wants a few, a few six drops. So that's the six drop you get. Okay. <laughs> I think the main idea with the curve is again not to ignore any facet of or any phase of the game. You know, any deck that's completely loaded up on two drops will eventually get outclassed if somebody can stop it. And any deck that's overloaded on expensive spells is never going to get to cast any of them. Yeah, and, and I that's how I felt when I tested uh, that crazy, like, too many Flesh to Dust, too many Covenant of Bloods against my friend's fast deck. It was just killing me before I could even cast my Covenant of Bloods. And um, it just felt like I wasn't, like, I, I was just, for that draft, I was just picking what I felt was the best card. I didn't really respect any curve whatsoever. It was like a zigzag. I mean, if you if you have seven if you have so. seven eight cards that cost like six five five even five plus mana, you you better you better start thinking about well, if I draw three of them, do I just lose? What 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 other cards do I need to draw uh, for me to have a chance if I draw three of these in the first ten cards I see? Because that's going to happen. So you better you better have some really really nice. Uh, early game, like resilient early game, uh, or that aren't just going to trade off. They've got to, they've got to like discourage attacks and stuff like that. So like, if you, if if, th if that's not what your twos and threes look like, uh, yeah, it's time to cut some of those expensive things. But but uh, like that, that that sort of, I think that that's what you have to sort of take into account. All right, like I, I still like when I do. I don't have any rules. I like some have more two drops than three drops. Some have more threes than twos, like the ones I've been drafting, and that's gonna happen. And uh... we had a really good discussion about mulliganing. Mulliganing. <laughs> one. No, no, yeah. I, like this is actually relevant because I can kind of connect it to what Josh is saying. No, like, I, I was, was just laughing at the mispronunciation. It sounded funny. Mulliganing. Talking's hard when you're in the South, man. We got to deal with this accent and everything else. But like, I was asking you about, you know, do you keep two landers on the play? And you're like, take a look at it, and if you rip the land you need, does the hand automatically win? Like, is it unbeatable if you get what you need? Now it's a consideration. And if it's not, then you probably want to send it back. Like, if you just can't do anything with those two lands, you know. And it's kind of the same situation there that Josh is talking about. Imagine a sample hand where you have three of those five drops in your hand. Can you can you deal with that? Can you win that game? You know, is is it going to make for poor mulliganing decisions because you you draw 
you know, three lands, three five drops on your mold of six, and like, well, this just looks awful. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's almost that, waiting variance against you if you go super heavy on your curve. On, on that note, Travis, I, I actually read something really interesting in an old SCG article by, I think Dan Nelson is his name. He was like, I think he said, like, if you have 10, if you're playing 17 lands and you have two lands in your opening hand and you're on the draw, you're a favorite to hit your third land, but you're not going to play, you're, you're probably, I think it said, like, you're an underdog to, to play your four drop and your five drop on curve. So you have to evaluate your hand. Can you do something, like, with three lands, like, two, three lands? To, to be able to hit those four and five drops because you're probably not going to draw them on time. So that was that was something really neat that that I read. Yeah, like the decision the decision changes a lot. Like, did you draw your only? Are those your only five or six drops? Because then 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 your draws are a whole lot better, right? If you if you whiff on the lands, you're drawing things you can actually play. Uh, so like, but in the seven five drop deck, you like you're hoping for the land, but you draw another seven drop. Well, yeah, that. Your mulligan decisions have to change quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, ultimately, you guys are telling me it depends, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what magic's all about, as always. But there is, like, Josh, there is like a good basic guideline that you could give, like, let's say, a uh, a beginner, right, to so that they don't totally. Yeah, no, no, of course. It has to look like. Of course, but it, it, I think, I think even a beginner, like, you, you still want to give it with the asterisk. Like, let them know right off the bat, hey, this is the complicated game. This is a good guideline, but you know, it's gonna change. You can give them some examples and let them figure it, figure other things on their own. Like that's like, that's sort of the the beauty of the game, at least in my eyes. It would be a really boring game if there was one right answer to this question and we all just snap knew it. <laughs> I think, like, I just feel like the, um, I'm not sure how to put this the right way, but maybe for a given archetype, let's say, the, or it, it would be more related to constructed, obviously, than, than limited, because limited, you're not really getting your desired twos and threes, right? But, like, there's like obviously a desired curve for like a specific, you know, if you had the cards or whatever. And uh... yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd it be like the 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 more constraints you put, like uh, like the, the 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 clearer the exercise becomes, and the clo like the the less you're gonna start straying from that from that curve. Like if I, if, if you're aggressive and you know the format, because like speeds of different formats are different, but like you know, like the the more sort of guidelines you put in place, the better the better an ideal curve you you can come up with, and and the less uh, you're gonna want to vary from that. But uh, I mean, um, sure, like <laughs> if you get rid of some of the depends, um, yeah, like, yeah. Your, your answer is gonna be yeah. I'm, I think. I mean, if I were to tell, I guess a beginner would be like, you know, like I've seen those those articles. It's like you need like around five two drops or whatever, one to two drops, and like six or seven three drops, or whatever, and five, and then it tails down to like two five drops or one six drop or whatnot. And, uh, 
I've seen Dude, it's like a paint by number, and sometimes you just yeah. want to paint the number nines green because green's cool. Like, <laughs> you know, that is a guideline. Your your curve should look like this, but if you're like, screw it, I'm taking all the seven drops, and you can figure out a way to make it work, then then that's the beauty of it is, is you can paint it whatever color you want to. Okay. On that note, Travis, uh, is – would you say – like, how many lands have you played max in your um, – and your aggressive decks for, for uh, M15. How low how low have you gone? 16 is the lowest I've gone in this format. And and that's a pretty aggro one. Like, I feel like if I'm trying to play a deck, I, I tend not to even go lower than that before. Like, I would draft Boros decks and, and Gatecrash and still stick around 17, or 16, and oftentimes 17, because I feel like the only thing that really matters is that opening hand. Like, yeah, we'll get a couple draws off the top, but I, I almost don't want to cheat, because... I really want to get to the part where I can play, you know, a one drop and a two drop on the same turn or a removal spell and still put something else on the board. So I, I tend not to try to cheat on lands. The, the power level of aggressive cards in Gay Crash was very different than the power level of aggressive cards in M15. So um, I, I actually think you want to, in, in a format like M15, you, you're going to cheat a little bit more often than Gay Crash. Like I've, I've gone to 15 in this format. I've gone to 15 in other formats too. But. Uh, oh, why is that? Like, What's the mm -hmm. difference? I don't remember Gatecrash, so what's the difference? Why, why these absurd two-drops of, like, but three, two first strikes two, two for two strike. the battalion, and, like, like you just, you, yeah, you, you, if you hit you your curve, the power level of those cards, they weren't even going to trade. Like, in, in, in M15, you have to expect your, 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 some of your aggressive cards to trade, and you still have to have more gas in hand. Um, so, uh, like, like, in that case, you, you might want to you might want to cheat on lands a little bit more often because uh, if if you if you get to a point on turn four where you've traded your first two creatures and uh, now you've drawn a land you don't have a play uh, you, you're you're going to lose that game because all your you know it, depending on how how far you're leaning to the aggressive if all, if you're playing with the the all two drop deck those those two drops aren't going to be good draws anymore they're 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 now playing four fours so like. <laughs> Um, like you just want to like fit in more of those hammer uh, hammer hands or uh, void snares or whatever you know whatever those cheap stupid cards are they're gonna keep you pushing forward. Hammer fist. <laughs> that card's um, nice. Can you like that card? Yeah. Yeah, man, uh, that card's awesome. No, it doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it does not. Um. Like, from for me, like when I'm gonna ask you guys, you guys have more experience. When you guys build like these aggressive decks, and your opening hand, let's say, is a, a nice curve, but you you have, let's say, four lands on a nice curve. Don't you feel like you might be like a dog already, just because like if you rip more lands? lands. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you can't you can't mulligan a perfect curve in an aggressive deck. I don't think, but. Like we're not, it's not constructed. Like, you know, like how 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 ridiculous is your is your deck that you're able to mulligan a a, a good curve? No, right, I'm pretty right. cut and paste seventeen always. I am. I've gone from fifteen to nineteen in this format. Holy moly! Yeah. I I think sixteen to eighteen maybe tops if I have like a Stormtide Leviathan's pretty heavy other. Um. 
Oh man, so Josh is still the more most creative of, out of us all, as usual. Or he's just an idiot, but or he's just an idiot. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I always felt like, is it true that, or maybe I'm wrong? Is it true a main uh, mid rangier deck is maybe more consistent than an aggro deck? Would that be fair to say, or would that would that be unfair? I don't know. I think this format's pretty aggressive. If you like, the nut aggro start's gonna be just about everything. I mean, in a vacuum, it's more consistent. Like if you're if you're took, if you're looking at like, um, did you did anyone read that uh, Frank Carson article? Yeah, yeah I, I've read maximizing that. Maximizing mana. Yeah, yeah, I've read that. It was a cool article. Uh, but like, yeah, I think I think uh, a, a mid range deck in limited, a mid range deck is probably gonna um, have a have a much uh, a much better chance at maximizing mana cons- more consistently um, over the first. Say once you get to like first seven, like if you look at the average length of what a limited game is in the format, um, I think most formats is probably going to be in the eight to ten turn range, probably before a game's like decided, not necessarily over. But uh, like a mid range X more consistently going to uh, maximize their mana over that time period. Uh, that might be a good measure. They're going to have better top decks as the game goes along. So I, I think that's the, the strength. Yeah, I, I just feel like some of the aggro decks, like, like I was mentioning, like you will get those hands where you have four lands or three lands and you draw a bunch of lands. You have a percentage of, of games where you're not going to get the exact number of gas that you need, and if, if you and your opponent are, have the same type of hand, then, then your opponent with more powerful spells in their deck is, is favored, right? So... That's but how you also I have those hands, like a good aggressive deck's gonna have those hands that are just not beatable for right. for for for, uh, for a normal deck, and and like if you're playing a mid range if you're playing a mid range deck, like you're you're definitely letting the game go along to a point where uh, you know someone else can have some much more powerful plays than you can, like play their play their six mana bomb or get that nut get that nut curve on you. So like that's why I say in a vacuum consistency, but but it doesn't necessarily mean your win percentage is higher. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to wrap things up. We've got uh, some questions here, some quick ones. Luke wants to ask, would you guys rather draft formats like Gatecrash or M14? Ugh. Kenji? Yeah. I guess... I guess Gatecrash, just because it's it, it'll feel a lot more different in the long run. You know, M14, it's a core set, right? So... And Gatecrash has just, I don't know, it's, I hate them all. I hate them all. I don't, I don't even know anymore. I hate them all. Travis? If Gatecrash was online, I'd be drafting it right now instead of talking. Like, I love that format. Gatecrash was amazing. Uh, I hate them all. Send me back. Yeah, just get right here. Send Josh. me back. I just want to extort people. Uh, variety, variety is the spice of life. I, I, I want things alternating. I don't. I actually think we've been uh, a little bit too far skewed to aggro for for like to, to too fast to format for for too long now. I, I'd like to see things slow down for a change. But like I, I wanted to go back and forth. I, uh, Was I, M14 too fast and or too slow and Gatecrash too slow? Like were those too far on the pendulum swing well, for Gate, you? Gatecrash was very great. I oh you know what? If we're gonna have if we're gonna be 
jumping around through planes. I want a stupid league wrestling format every once in a while. Like Zendikar was awesome. Zendikar maybe. For a change, Zendikar was awesome. Uh, but but you, you still want to go back the other way on the spectrum into like uh, M13, M even M14. They're they're both pretty uh, slow, dirtily formats. I think. Oh no, M13 was the aggressive one. M12 was the one. I'm, I don't know. I don't remember anymore. It's all blur. See so nobody. Yeah. Luke wants to ask, what do you prefer? I'm trying to find preference. Oh, pref preference. Yeah. Uh, yeah, M14. M14. Uh, one of our last questions. Playing from the midget, playing sealed, what is your opinion on making a model color deck for your pool and splashing base on the remainder of cards? And I think our answer, collector's answer, is going to be it depends. <laughs> yeah, I bet of course. It's almost never right to do it unless the stars properly align because you're just passing up on too much power with your other colors. But if you open that nut pool that can make it happen, you know, go for it. Live your yeah. dream. So I, I do have a quick question. So everyone talks about how Lightning Strike is a splashable card, whatever. You can splash it off uh, Evolving Wilds if you want to. What other cards have you guys splashed? Like, Kenji, do you splash, like, a Covenant of Blood if you have to? Only if have I have to. That? I think the number one splash cards for me are the... Uh... You know the the cycle of Kurd Chieftain, right? Uh, Dauntless River Marshal, especially the, the Nightfire Giant stuff like that. I've, ne I've never splashed the River Marshal, but yeah, it's certainly splashable. So. I mean, are you splashing for him or the ability from the matter of the ability? The, the ability, you, yeah, usually. You yeah. Always you, want to be splashing the ability if yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because the creatures are usually fine on their own. Yeah, that's it. It's like Piker Hill Giant. Exactly. Uh, one one for one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, green white can evoke whatever. Well, is Covenant splashable? Yeah. Would you ever splash it? Have you? Uh, probably. I don't know, man. It's the... <laughs> too many drafts. <laughs> I've done it. I'm not proud of it, but I've done it. It wasn't pretty, but I've done it. Why? Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it's very powerful, right? It's... Yeah, it could be more powerful than Drain, drain life. Yeah. Soul feast to a creature. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you might need to nug them for four and gain four, right? Like, True. it seems like a very powerful late game spell. If I can see like a weird green white deck wanting to splash it. Here. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly where I was when I did it. It was a weird green white deck. Like the green white deck that's fighting with other with three other green white decks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> okay, I don't know about you guys, but for me, in all the eight fours I've done. A card that wheels a lot, and I I, I want to like rip my hair out of my head is late Sunblade Elf, and I'm just like, why why is this here, and why am I not green white? It just drives me absolutely bonkers, <laughs> especially when I see I'm not like, let's say pick, it's like pack two, and we're like in pick seven, I see one, pick nine, I see one, and I'm like, fuck. Why well, wasn't anyone green white? That's weird. Yeah. This doesn't happen in my drafts that often. I've seen it before, and I think it's what you mentioned earlier, is all of the other creatures are fine as a splash. Like, you throw it in Evolving Wilds in one of the off-color lands, and you're like, this is fine. It's a 2-1. It'll be all right. Mm -hmm. That's the only guy where you're like, Ugh, if I don't have the planes, he's just a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, you can't really, you don't really want to splash him uh, very often. But but uh, at the same time, uh, it's in this format, it's really weird for some for not one drafter to be green-white. That means, yeah. like, no... Uh, 
triplicate spirits got opened in the first pack, or like not not necessarily like they could have gone white red or something, but I don't like green white nearly as much as a lot of other people. I think no. it's the best deck when it comes to feathers. <laughs> yes. When it when it comes together. But I don't I don't I don't draft it that often because I don't I don't feel like it comes together. I feel like we're fighting too much. I don't remember the classic Kenji and Josh battle, and it was like some stupid green pump spell. Oh, I think I won that in the end. <laughs> I want to look. What was the green pump spell? Oh, it was aspect of the pump hydra. Spells. No, it was aspect of the hydra and yeah. uh, whatever that other one was, because mortal uh, mortal resolve. resolve. Yeah. I definitely played a lot more Hydras than Mortals Resolve, so I, I, I feel like I win. I don't. I don't know if I did though. Yeah, oh, I, I, I think we both stuck to our guns on that one. Travis, Travis, break the tie. Break the tie. What did you play more of? A cursed spirit. Hey, how about this? Can we let's? What do you guys think about shields, ephemeral shields versus uh, Ranger's Guile? Ranger's Guile. Jinx. Easy. Rangers yeah, if I'm playing green-white, I'd rather have Ranger's Gall. Okay. Suck it, Trebek. <laughs> no, it wasn't a Cursed Spirit I was thinking about. It was Tormented Soul. That was the one. It was Tormented Soul. That's oh, yeah, that was a really old one. One-one yeah. unblockable Garbo. Oh, oh the black oh, guy. That was our first discussion. Yeah. We weren't comparing it to anything. We were just talking about the merits oh, of okay. garbage one drops. You know what though? I, I played I played I played my fair share of them after that conversation, so I played my fair share of aspects. Yeah, me too. Why do we like Guile over Shields just because of the cheaper cost? Oh no, I I I was just I I, I don't know, I, I actually think it's like a toss up on the deck. But, oh no! Wait, no! I, like, I don't like. I've I had that decision a lot come up. Uh, guile versus whether I want to run a guile or a shield. I've had the comment like I've had that come up a lot in my in my own drafts. Is I it like? I think, I think I usually lean towards guile too. Is bounce like the main thing that and the cheaper cost? They can it can counter a, a appeal. Yeah, as a combat trick, they they sort of they sort like they sort of have their own merits, like the pump versus the. Right. Indestructible depends on the size of the battle. Right, right, okay. Leaving it for free is harder to play around, but yeah, it's a, it's a toss-up. Travis, you were gonna say something? I I feel like the Ranger's Guile goes in more decks. Like every time I play the Shields, I'm playing it in a white deck, and I save my Grizzly Bear, and I'm like, wow, I yeah. did a thing. Yeah. Whereas I've used Ranger's Gall to protect like a rot feaster maggot that was holding off a whole team. It's like, <laughs> yeah, score. So I, I don't know. I just feel like Ranger's Gall makes it in more decks, and it's it always feels more impactful when I play it because it it does something relevant. And the plus one plus one isn't irrelevant either. Yeah. I, although I mean, uh, if we're comparing the two cards, it, it should be in green white because you're not making the decision in green black, right? So like. Yeah. You, you may not want either of them if, if you have nothing to protect, but like sometimes you're playing a bunch of auras or uh, like yeah. Sandworms and Avacyn or whatever, I don't know. Seraph. Here I go with my horrible knowledge. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get complaints again from the uh, Sarah, I'm going to get it for you. It's Seraph. <laughs> of the masses. Of the masses, I knew that. <laughs> um, see, I mean, I don't consciously think about it too much, but. Uh, on when we were talking about like sun, when I was when I was talking about Sunblade Elf passing, 
I, I sort of like if it's a toss up, I might uh, knowing which two colors to go, and I'm already one color, and then there's like a pick between like two things. I might lean towards the one with like the psych, like the the cycle of of guys that can wheel. Maybe I don't think I actively think about that, but I think that's that's sometimes a plus. Um, actually, like before I wrap up, I think Travis, you wanted to talk about like your new strategy of uh, well, forcing I, a color. I was just interested if these two agreed. Like, if you open something pretty good, I'll say in a color, it almost feels like you can force that one color and then really pay attention to signals to see what else might be open. And it seems like it's almost more effective in this format because the it seems a little bit deeper than I'm used to. So, like, it's not like by the time the pack wheels, it's completely out of playables. There's still going to be a few things. So, like, if I open a triplicate spirits, obviously I'm taking it, but it's going to take an act of God to get me out of white at that point. I'll, I'll pay attention to what's coming around, and that'll help me decide my second color. But I, I just feel like the times where I do that, I get rewarded and win. And the times where I'm like, well, white doesn't seem open. I, I guess I'll take this other thing. I'm drafting again in five minutes because I've lost. <laughs> Kenji, your your thoughts. Sorry, repeat the question or the the statement, the whatever it was. Forcing seems better and easier in M15 than we're used to, and can be a good strategy for one color. Yeah, I've I've certainly uh, have forced a lot of mo uh, especially monocolored in this format. Uh, like you said, if you open a triplicate spirits, you, you aren't ditching white. You're just sticking to your guns, and you're like happy you're getting your. I don't know, 10th pick Swift Claw or whatever. Um, and you're always going to get at least one. I feel like you always get one Sanctified Charge. You need, you need to. You need to, yeah, especially if you're uh, that, uh, on that uh, that shabby plan. The Force, no matter what. Yeah. Plan, yeah. I actually like forcing a lot less in white than... like I, I might be less inclined to force in white than another color just because, like... I said this before, but, like, Commons and white and sanctified charge and triplicate spirits. After that, you're playing a bunch of replaceable garbage, which is good when you have those two cards, but pretty mediocre otherwise. Well, yeah, like, but I'm, you're not going to force white because you first picked a raise the alarm out of a weak pack. No, no, given a good card, I, I, I see what you yeah. mean. But I, I think it's, I, th I feel like that's there's less payoff in that in white than something like black, where black's actually pretty deep and versatile at common. Maybe not as powerful when it comes together, but. Uh, so, what do you think about what he said, uh, Josh? Do you think like it's more, um, it's less risky to force if you like open, let's say, an Avacyn and you jump in white than in previous formats? Or is it toss-up? You're looking like you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, but I think courses might be like that in general. Okay. Just because there's there's usually less of a synergy game going on. Actually, like compared to other core sets, I think there's more synergy going on. So, like this compared to another core set, it's probably a worse strategy. But compared to uh, Theros, uh, it definitely work. It'll definitely work a lot more in in, in a core set than than most uh, themed blocks. Hmm. Sure. I'm gonna have to try this more because a lot of times I, I I hear to this like pick the best available card for my first three picks, regardless, almost regardless of color. That's that's how I draft. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty, probably correct. And maybe, well, maybe I not. Think maybe you I should put like, some tie breaks onto yeah. what your previous picks were, but... 
Yeah, maybe like, not. A little bit of a lean, like, but yeah. Like if I pick spirits, maybe maybe I should stick to that. But I can be lucky, like Josh, and people pass me infinite red paragons and red creatures. Oh, well, that, that, that deck was sick. <laughs> I love the paragon. You see him? He got like wide-eyed, reminiscing. He's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, so actually it, for, for the uh, pack one, pick one from limited resources, do you pick if all the other cards are like whatever, do you pick the Bloodseeker or the Blue Paragon? Wait. Th- those, the, those are the only two good picks? Or what, what's the... I think I think those are the only two p- good picks from their pack. It was like Plummet, there was like other, other stuff uh, from what I remember from the podcast. I can't I'm not gonna hurry up and listen unless they publish their back one pick one as well. Do they? It's a bloodseeker. Broodkeeper? No, no, no. Bloodseeker. Your favorite oh, card. Blood... You? Let's say those two are the only good cards, Kenji. What would you like? I'd probably take the Paragon. I like red more, a lot more, but I think the Paragon's the more upside, higher power card. Travis? Like I said, I'll take her to prom. We ain't getting married, but I'm taking the Bloodseeker. What, what do you like more, Josh? I don't like Bloodseeker. I, uh, the Blue Paragon is is the one I, I actually oh, end no. up cutting the most. Yeah, okay. Not that it's the worst. It, it like it, 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 It's it's insane in, in the right deck, but I find my blue decks just don't have that many blue creatures. I get what like, How many you... do I get? It was sweet against Travis <laughs> in our draft. <laughs> that being said, I don't think I've ever first picked either of those cards, so there's probably yeah, some yeah. where I take a different card. Yeah, I like like uh, that. That sounds like the kind of pack I'm taking a restock out of. I love restock. My card's so sweet. Have you ever first picked it though? I first picked it the other day. I was really disappointed, but restock. I just love it in uh, I love it in green red just because I want to bring back lightning strikes and shit. I love it like, in green yeah. everything, but green is not always correct. <laughs> Out of all the colors, I've got the green black the most. I always get past that shit, and I don't, I'm tired of it. I just wanna, I just wanna play more white. I just wanna attack more. And the only eight four I won was like finally not a green black deck, a good red blue temple deck. I try to avoid that green black deck. Red blue is the most fun in this format by far, I think. Green black might be like. It might be a trap for us guys, like Travis. <laughs> like we just love I'll, it. I love I'll, it. I love, I love the it. idea of green black. I don't think it's quite quite gets yeah. there in this format. It it it's 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 still it's still you know it's still one of the top like I don't know maybe six color combinations because there aren't that many good ones. But well, uh, the the top color combinations are white red white X white X white X white X. That's what yes. I force every time. I like red black blue. black red if I have my choice. That's that's absolutely what I want to be doing. <laughs> gotta draft more black red. I had a game I'm yesterday so black red. on stream where my opponent, let's see, they they started out with a wall of mulch, then they bounce it with uh, invasive species, and I've seen multiple peels from reality from this guy. My, my hand is a couple of two drops. A stab wound, two covenants of blood, and I just draw a lightning strike. So I'm like, all right, I know how this game is going to go. Throw the stab wound on the species. The next turn, he doesn't play the wall. So I'm like, all right, you've got peel from reality. I'm not playing anything else. 
Um, lightning strike to the face. Untap covenant. Untap covenant. Dot a stab wound. It was nice. beautiful. Like when you can win a game of limited without casting any creatures. I want to be in those colors. Um, actually, well, one last question, quick card that I wanted to talk to you guys about before wrapping this up is hot soup, good or bad? Because it's always one card that a lot of a lot of people are really high on, and then a lot of people are not. Uh, starting with Kenji. Um, I hated it when the first uh, the set first came out. Then I had lots of hot soup spilled on me many times, and I respect it more. I don't take it very highly because it often wheels, but I do think um, it's better than first glance, especially since there's not too much direct damage in the format, right? Um, and if if they're gonna you know target your guy with a burn anyways, it's probably going to die, or it was it was eating up a valuable spell. It doesn't have to die necessarily, but yeah. Josh, I uh, I think it's a it's a very good sideboard card. Um, main deckable. If you really need the reach, or if you've got enough artifact banners, particularly good when you have a minute and a half on your clock. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the downside, like I don't think you, I think you, uh, you don't, you ignore the, like you sort of just ignore the damage downside. The down, the real downside is you're playing uh, <laughs> equipment that's redo equip, and you know, it it doesn't necessarily affect the board. It it. it it affects. Uh, it, you have to be in a uh, like. It, it, you have to set yourself up so you're ahead in the race, either because they're playing defensive cards or whatever. But uh, I, I, it's a really good sideboard card when things are, are you, when you know things are stalling out. Travis, I'm somewhat a little further on the playable side than Josh. Like I've just put so much soup on mongrels, but again, I'm I'm often going <laughs> red. Okay, but... You be enough mongrels, I'll play with my hot soup. Yeah, yeah. If I can get two or three mongrels, I, I'm definitely putting a hot soup in that deck because it's just beautiful. Because <laughs> anything that's going to kill it because of the soup's drawback was going to kill it anyway. Like, okay, sure, but it's kind of like, all right, I've assembled Voltron. Let's see what you can do. Compare, but you, like, compare it to like the. It's a rare, I think, but the the other one mana equipment. Like that's. If I have one of those, I'm probably not hot souping. If I have one of those and a and like a sentinel and a I don't know like three other artifacts, probably gonna still let my hot soup sit in the sideboard. Yeah, I'm with you there, but I, I feel like the, the the really good artifacts tend to go relatively quick because everybody can play them. Like yeah. yeah, if I've got enough juggernauts, I don't need hot soup, but probably not always gonna come together. But th that's the reason for me to 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 main deck it, and I, I'm probably more likely doing it because I am drawn to red. So the card you were you wanted to say was Shield of uh... Yes, thank you. Yeah, Shield of the Avatar. <laughs> so we but it's a rare. I don't. I'm not actually expected to remember names of rares. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that's the thing. Um. Oh man, I keep thinking of things to talk about, like Sacred oh, Armory. Man. Sacred Armory. Like we we shot on it last show, but like sometimes... yeah, I said it might have some merit. I just haven't gotten a chance yet. Oh yeah, okay. Travis and I shot on it, or whatever. But I was wrong. I was wrong. In, was in red black, I faced a red black deck where that was its, like it doesn't have a top end. It had haunted plate mail and, and sacred armory for that for their late game, and those two cards are really strong, 
for that deck in the late game, where the all they have is like these um, little guys, and they just like on the play mill on like uh, a late game on a Forge Devil, and now it's like a five five, and I'm like, holy shit, I have to kill this thing or like Sacred Armory now. My life total is so low that I actually have to care about this Force Devil. I have to trade it with something that's like even a Gargoyle Sentinel or whatever that that I wish I wouldn't trade a freaking devil with a devil. So, um, so Travis, you've changed your mind on it. Yeah, basically because after Josh said I need to try this and see what it does, I got one late, tried it, and was like, wow, everything's a threat. Like. Not every deck wants it, but if you're playing a deck that's primarily playing small creatures, like your curve slants this way, yeah, yeah. then yeah, you want it because now everything's a threat. If they don't block, cool to the face. And if they do, you can trade off your Forge Devil with their three three. Like I mean, five, it's not like <laughs> yeah, it's not like super happy party time, but it's it's definitely playable. <laughs> actively something I want to wheel. Like I'm never gonna grab one super early, but. I'm definitely paying attention now to see those wheel. Kenji? Oh, yeah, I agree. It's same with, uh, well, about the same camp as Hot Soup uh, in the beginning for me, although it's it's a lot better. So I didn't like the card at first at all. And then um, I've been I've been picking up picking them up in a lot of my uh, more aggressive decks. And, yeah, it just turns, like you said, a Forge Devil into, you know, a huge threat later that you need to block, and it just eats whatever it wants. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I had to encrust to win the finals. Game three of the finals, I had to encrust a sacred armory. I'm yeah, like, I can't. Forge Devil already killed something. How much better can Forge Devil get? I can't. And can't. now you're armoring it up. Like, <laughs> I can't encrust anything else. That is the thing. That is the big threat on the table. Um, so, Josh, your opinion's the same. It's still uh, good. I'm still anxious to try it. I, I oh, have, you I haven't have not, tried it. I haven't. I haven't had it make a deck yet. Yeah. Um, and I haven't had it played against me to good effect. I've had it played against me maybe twice, and it just wasn't important in those games. But I'm still, I'm sure, I'm sure that there are, uh, there are times where, uh, it, where I, I'm sure it has its place. Like, it, it seems like a powerful enough card. Um, <laughs> KYT made his bed. This draft will go well. <laughs> Um, last question was, how is it you can talk so much on here but not on the A-Team KYT? Well, I think I just tell these guys to show up, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to come up with topics on the actual fly. I don't prepare for this at all, and uh, they love it. And I get to talk a lot and ask these guys questions, and <laughs> they love that I come up with topics and they don't have to. Or occasionally I'm like, come up with a story, and they're like, <laughs> the old episodes where I'm just like, uh, and then, then yeah, no, no, none of us can tell stories. Yeah, but the Juggernaut, at least we have the Juggernaut story. No, okay. no. <laughs> no. Normalized. Um, so there's a PTQ in Montreal. I don't know if Josh is going to make it this Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully uh, one of us can take that down with our insane amount of M15 knowledge pulsing through our veins here. All right, so that will do it for this episode of Men From Moto. Hope you guys liked it, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Kenji. Thanks, Travis, for joining me. So see you guys next time. Salute, and bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Adios.